0: Hey there, this is Mike, and you're listening to Feeling Twisty. I'm really glad you're here. When I was a kid back in the seventies, there was one grocery store in our city. That was much more than a grocery store. Uh, They're commonplace now, but back then I'd never seen one. It was the biggest store I'd ever been to. It was a Kroger in which half of the store had what you would expect at a grocery store, but the other half had all sorts of other things like you would see in most superstores stores now. But back in the 70s, this was something new to me. It had hardware, clothes, toys and even coloring books. I remember one Sunday I was staying with my grandmother. We hopped in her red Ford Falcon and went to Kroger and we walked into the store. I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to go to the toys and the books, the coloring books. I tugged at my grandmother's hand, wanting her to follow me to that section. And she said, we can't do that on Sunday. And that's when I noticed that a whole half of the store had been roped off. I asked her why, why was this awful thing happening? She shrugged and said, they think it matters but what really matters is in your heart. Now, I was tiny. I didn't know what she was talking about. I didn't understand, but I do now, some 45 years later. We had very strict laws regarding Sundays, the blue laws. We were allowed to go out to eat at a restaurant after church, but no shopping other than for groceries. Between church services, we went to a church that had two services a day, a Sunday morning, and a Sunday evening, and we had to go to both. I never could understand why the pastor couldn't get his point across in the morning service. (laughs) The city's loosened the blue law here, but you still can't buy liquor within the city limits on Sunday. It's really silly. And even though there have been some legal challenges to it, that there's still some need to specify a day of rests to assure some workers can at least get a day off. But for the most part, it goes back to very strict religious doctrine to keep or honor the Sabbath, which became Sundays for most Christian denominations. But to say buying a bottle of gin breaks some religious code, but it's perfectly fine to buy beer and wine, is just plain absurd. <laughs> there is no day holier or more special than any other. Every day is the Lord's day because the Lord is within you. The Lord is you. Paul even tells us in the New Testament to stop observing days in Galatians 4.10. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and worthless principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. Oh my. (laughs) I love the way Neville teaches what the Sabbath is. When God, I am, created for six days, he rested. This is an imaginal creative act. It's what we do all the time. We create the state of our wish fulfilled, move into it in imagination, and then we rest in it. We stop working toward it. We let it be, knowing that it must come. He says that the Sabbath, the period after the imaginal act, is still part of the act of creation. You're not done until you enter the Sabbath. The Sabbath must be kept to express the state desired. The resurrection of Jesus happened on the eighth day the first day of the next week. Our desire's fulfillment is expressed on the eighth day. The resurrection of the new state comes after the Sabbath. This isn't a day, a specific day, or a, a time frame. It's the feeling of knowing that it's done, living in the end. I'm no longer trying to figure out how to achieve it because I have it or I am it already. Sabbath or Shabbat means to stop, to cease. So when I have a desire and play with it in imagination, how wonderful it would be were it true now. I don't force a scene. Those naturally come up in those moments. Try thinking of anyone, your mother, your siblings, your boss, and don't images of them pop up or the sound of their voice. So when I'm entertaining a desire, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if it were true now? How would I feel if it were true now? And images just come up automatically. If I'm imagining for someone, their face or voice naturally comes up. And and in that moment, they automatically respond in kind to what I'm imagining. I hear them celebrating or congratulating. I see their smile. And the satisfaction is what I feel. I feel a satisfaction of knowing that it's done. It just takes a moment. In the lecture, Keep the Sabbath, Neville shares a dream someone described to him in a letter. Now, the dream that this woman described to Neville has three parts. I'm just going to tell you about the second and third parts. It's a wonderful lecture. If you haven't read it, you can find it in Natalie Burnett's book, Imagining Creates Reality, a collection of Neville's lectures from 1967. The woman who wrote the letter was a real estate agent. And although she had been using the law successfully to sell homes, there was one that she just couldn't shake. She would find herself wondering about who the buyer's going to be. And then she realized if she's wondering about the buyer, then she has not truly sold the house in her imagination. She's not living in the end. She's not keeping the Sabbath. In the dream, she wanted rice and demanded that it be done instantly. Now, this wasn't minute rice she was cooking. This was rice. So she puts it in a pot and turns the heat up and it was done quickly, but it was hard and bland, tasteless. Now, the next part of the dream jumps to her wanting to cook lima beans. And as she begins to soak the beans, she feels as if she has all the time in the world. So she lets them soak and soak until they're bursting and then puts them on the stove and lets them cook. She's in no hurry. When the beans are finally done, they're delicious. And at the end of the dream, she realizes that both dishes seemed to take the same amount of time. But she was rushed and impatient with the rice and it was inedible. She was in no hurry and felt like she had all the time in the world to wait on the beans and they were delicious and both took the same amount of time. I love that story. I know that rushed feeling. I want it done now. So what can I do to hurry this along? I'm certainly not perfect in keeping the Sabbath with all of my desires. I gave you an example in my last episode. I think it was my last episode. I told you about how I reacted to my insurance adjuster's email and then followed up that reaction with a couple of strongly worded emails of my own. (laughs) And I had thoughts about what do I need to do to get this guy to listen to me and to pay me? Well, if I were keeping the Sabbath, resting in the knowledge that our house is rebuilt and perfect. It's beautiful. Would I be bothering with this adjuster at all? Would I be arguing or would I be threatening him or implying threats? (laughs) No, there were a couple of times when over the past several months, when I've walked into our house that is still gutted down to the studs and wondered, when is this going to be done? Hell, when's the work going to start? And why is my roof still leaking? (laughs) And then I catch myself. I recognize the doubt and I refuse to give life to it. Hey, it's okay to have doubts pop up. As long as we have these minds and bodies, this human experience, there's always going to be doubts and thoughts of fear and what ifs. They come from the state we're dwelling in. They're nothing to be afraid of. Our monkey mind loves to jump from here to there, bringing up failures of the past and all the ways those failures can repeat themselves in my future. (laughs) I am not this monkey mind. Now, we don't have a separate mind. That's just a concept. That, That idea of monkey mind comes from Buddhism, this unsettled, wishy-washy mind that's ready to leap on all the doubts and fears and take us down these dark paths. (laughs) It parades all the ways my life can go wrong right in front of me. Hey, think about this. What about that? Remember what you did there? Having doubts pop up doesn't mean I'm not keeping the Sabbath. It's when I choose to identify with them and give reality to them that I need to check on my state. Talking about monkeys or monkey minds, this reminds me of an encounter I had with a monkey. This was years ago when I was a reporter for our local Fox affiliate. I was covering our city's annual pirate festival. Now it wasn't called that back then, it was called Contraband Days. Anyway, at this particular festival, there was an animal show and the the man in charge, the trainer had a couple of monkeys. One of the monkeys was the monkey that played Ross's pet on the show Friends. And I thought, what a great photo op. And I could record a promo for the station while I'm at it. So the trainer puts this monkey on my shoulder. And we take a couple of pictures and a quick little video. Well, I had no idea that while I was smiling for the camera, this monkey was crapping down my back. Monkey poo white monkey poo all the way down my solid black shirt. (laughs) And I had a couple of more hours to cover that festival, walking around with monkey poo on me. (laughs) We had the photo framed though, the, the good side, and it remained on our wall at our house until the hurricanes last year. When I choose to identify with the doubts and impatience of this monkey mind, Well, it'll end up like that monkey on my shoulder at the festival. (laughs) Don't freak out when you notice you're having thoughts contrary to the fulfillment of your desire. One surefire way for me to notice and remind myself that I'm not my thoughts and feelings is to ask myself a simple question. And I've been doing this for a good while and never fails. It never fails. Am I this thought or feeling or am I the one imagining it or am I the one aware of it? Try it. I know if you've never tried that, it may sound, well, that, you know, that's too simple. How's that going to help? Listen, you are an infinite, limitless being beyond any limits of states of consciousness, beyond what you thought of as yourself, beyond this life that you call yours. And by putting your attention on imagination, awareness, God, your true self, response, you're putting your attention to it, on it, by asking that question, am I this thought? Am I this feeling or this problem? Or am I the one imagining it? Am I the one aware of it? Now, that little question is uh, not something I came up with. I read that a number of times in different books, but it's so simple and profound. I tried describing the feeling of that, what what it feels like to me, to Kim once, uh, but I don't think it came out as good. Well, I know it didn't come out as good as it sounded in my head, but I'm going to give it a shot with you, because I like it. It's like bobbing for apples in an apple orchard. When I'm identifying with the doubts and fears, I'm plunging my whole head into a tub of water, trying to catch that damn apple that keeps staying just out of the reach of my teeth. I'm down there in the water holding my breath, and I can't see a thing, just groping around with my lips in a panic trying to find that apple. By putting my attention on awareness, on my true being, I'm pulling my head out of the water, ah, standing up as I fill my lungs with air. And then I remember, oh yeah, I own the whole orchard. <laughs> when I'm not keeping the Sabbath, well, it, it just doesn't feel good either. It shows up in my body immediately. I'm literally holding my breath and my chest tightens, my jaws hurt. All of this as I'm back to wondering how my wish will be fulfilled and thinking about all the ways it could go wrong and who I need to convince and coerce to do my bidding to get this wish accomplished. Listen, this is the most important part of this episode. You cannot fail. Repeat that with me. I cannot fail. The only reason I experience the pain of failure or loss is my belief in failure and loss. Now, knowing this feels really good. Play with that feeling. Take some time right now while you're listening to this. How would I react? What would I be thinking and doing right now if I knew I couldn't fail? If I knew that all of my desires are mine? Posing those questions right now reminds me of the Vibe Project's Instagram account. If you don't follow them, do, do follow them on Instagram. Anila and Clay have some life-changing content in their little Instagram posts. How would I feel if I knew that in spite of a flurry of doubts, I cannot fail? Ask yourself that question again. Let the feeling come up. Let that feeling just mm, saturate every part of you. That feeling is you, with a capital Y, cheering you on saying, yes, you've got it. Now, let's have some fun. As soon as you have a desire, oh, how wonderful would that be if it were true now? How would I feel if it were true now? Feel it. You'd notice something you want. How would I feel if that were true now? If I had that now? If I was experiencing that now? How does that feel? How it feels to me won't be the same as it feels to you. So just notice how that feels, being that, having that now. Not next week, not after you finish a course or next month. Now, as you're driving your car or washing your dishes, lying in bed. (laughs) How does that feel? Now, you've done it. Accept that as your reality. Accept that it's done. Because in this moment, in this little creative act, everything has just changed for you. The course of your life has been altered. Go have some fun today. You don't need to sit down and look for one more Neville lecture or one more YouTube video from your favorite coach, or even one more episode of feeling twisty. Go on about your day, enjoying the life you have, the life you've given yourself, because it just changed with that imaginal act. But Mike, everything looks the same. Keep the Sabbath, live in the end. And that's just living from this new perspective. Go on about your life from this new perspective. It's done. Now, knowing that's done, how do I see my life? How is my day-to-day knowing that I just made that change? And get on with your other desires. You can never say you don't have desires, so don't let them fester. Accept their reality, accept their fulfillment now. Don't just sit on the couch eating Oreos and peanut butter waiting for the fulfillment of that one big thing. What would you be doing now that you know how simple it is? What would I be imagining and doing now that I know that my desires are from God, the God within me, wanting me to create the state and move into it? What would I be imagining if I knew God was on my side? (laughs) Well, I would set about assuming the fulfillment of every one of my desires and do the same for my family and friends. Mm. The more you play, the more you will expand your awareness of what's possible. As Neville says, there's no limit to expansion. I know how easy it is and how safe it feels to just wait. Oh, I'm going to wait. I'll get on manifesting my other desires once this big one is fulfilled well you're not keeping the sabbath you're not behaving in any way like it's fulfilled so how can it ever come about in your life if you refuse to see the power that you really are and the love that you really are know that it's done and get going what else when you order something from amazon you sit at home waiting for the delivery truck, refusing to live your life until that package arrives? Well, of course not. So why do that with the imagination? Why do that with all of your wonderful desires? Don't leave them hanging. <laughs> in this lecture and Keep the Sabbath, Neville says that desire is the spring of action. I create a beautiful home where it would be marvelous to live in that home. And so I see it in my mind's eye, but I have no money and I have no means of building it, but I can see it clearly in my mind's eye. Wouldn't it be wonderful if it were true? Now, keep the Sabbath and don't concern yourself with money. It doesn't matter what it takes or how it comes about. Just keep the Sabbath relative to it it will come to pass. One more quote from that lecture. A friend of mine shared this wonderful statement that her father told her when she was a child and she in turn told me that I may tell my daughter. If you had but a dollar and it was necessary to spend it, do it as though it were a dry leaf and you the owner of unbounded forests. Live that way just as though it were true And you'll find that the supply will come like the forest dropping its leaf for you to spend. So holding on to it is lack of confidence in the abundance of God and his ability to constantly produce. That last sentence gets me. mm. Holding on to money or anything really, holding on to it shows my lack of confidence in God in imagination, in the being I truly am, a lack of confidence in myself. Money may not be what you're after. Well, put anything in that forest, in that boundless forest. Feel the reality of that constant production. Mm. Love, health, anything and everything is in that forest. You are that boundless forest. How would I live and love knowing that there is a never-ending supply for me? Hmm. It's there. It's you. I love you. I'm feeling twisty.